Hello and welcome to Carp Cogs episode 19 and today's topic we're going to be talking about big fish waters, uh, mainly European ones, the such like as rainbow and gravias and if you ever get a chance to fish these fantastic waters, what insight you might need and the best way to get some fish on the bank. Now the guest we have on is a renowned Danish carp angler, been angling for 35 years and targeting carp for over 25 years. Now, he's been a regular visitor to these iconic waters, such as Rainbow and Gravias, uh, where he's caught carp up to 82 pounds. Our guest has been sponsored by Corda and the DT Baits Consultant. I'd like to introduce to the show, Peder Lichtenberg. How are you doing, mate? Oh, thank you very much, guys. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Matt's in the void out there somewhere. <laughs> Matt's filling in a void, the amount of Easter eggs he's filled up. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Peter? You're all right, mate. Yeah, everything's fine, mate. I, uh, Lovely. Been a long day. You. Been a long day, yeah. But uh, well, crack open a bottle of wine, mate, and regale us with all these amazing carp stories. Yeah, I hope we can have a, a bit of a laugh together tonight. I'm sure about that. Yeah, hundred so. percent, mate. Yeah, well, I've drunk. I've drunk some red wine already, mate. So we're on a winner. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> right, we're going to get loads of sense out of you tonight, then, Matt. Yeah, no, no, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy out there. We don't want renting. I'm too busy trying to get out of this void I've filled up. <laughs> um, if you can just let the listeners know how you got into fishing, especially in Denmark, that's your birthplace and your location, how you got into the fishing world and eventually how you got into the carp world. Yes, well, um, like like most a lot of other people, I started uh, I started angling with uh, with my dad when I was uh, five years old. Um, and obviously, back then it was mostly uh, coastal fishing um, because we have a summer house that that's very close to the coastline up there. So it was just like very simple with with like beach casting, um, but not with heavy gear or anything, and and catching some small cod and stuff like that. And I still remember that um, how that started anyway, and that really got me into to the angling kind of you know I love fishing. Um, would you know go on my bike and and go to lakes and stuff like that um my dad wasn't really a big angler he he enjoyed doing the time with me but it was more or less his brother that was really the uh, the angler that invited us on trips um for cods and stuff like that so um a lot of my early days wasn't about you know carp fishing or course fishing and that kind of stuff it was mainly sea fishing and, and predator fishing in lakes okay did you eat your catches you said you caught some cod would you Take that home and eat that. Yeah, back then I would, uh, I would definitely, uh, you know, it was to eat the fish. So um, that was the the main reason for it. That was the way that 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 you know we did things. And a lot of people, I still go fishing on the sea sometimes and bring back a few cod. I love eating eating them. So, but, mm. but yeah. Okay, and how did that translate into uh, fresh waters? Um, it really started sort of like when when we. Uh, my dad, he 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 he's in the banking world, so he got uh, stationed um, just outside of London. So in in Wimbledon, we moved there, and obviously um, the big tackle shop in Wimbledon, Bowlers, I think it was called. I remember that. You know, they had boilies and all different kinds of things, and all the magazines in the UK were about course fishing and carp back then. This must have been in. 80 just around 88 so it's it's a fair few years ago but i remember seeing all those pictures and buying those magazines obviously back then and and obviously got a bit into carp fishing there but nothing serious 
obviously like it is now. It was just, you know, with floats and stuff like that. So, what type of waters were you fishing? What area was that? Did you say Wimbledon? Wimbledon. Wimbledon. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's so many years ago. It was just like small park lakes and stuff like that. You know, it it it, it was just it wasn't anything really serious. Just like public uh, and canal uh, channels and stuff like that. It it, it wasn't you know. The known waters from back then or anything like that obviously i wasn't into that i was still quite young back then so so you're catching the silver fish the roach and that type of yeah exactly easier. exactly and obviously so, read, read about uh all the uh the carp tackle back then with uh you know the old school things that that we call old school now but a lot of the stuff back then was quite you know simple as you look at it, hair rigs and stuff like that and the baits back then were quite simple so it's quite interesting reading about that, but I didn't get really get to use it. That was when we came back to Denmark many years later, really. So, okay, so you was fishing a little bit with the float, um, just like you say on the canals. Then you ended up going back to Denmark, and you hadn't dipped your toes in the carp world um, before you went back. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's true. Um, we moved back. We stayed in the UK for three years. Mm -hmm. uh, lovely time anyway and really enjoyed it um came back we moved very close to a, a, a quite a big lake here um where it would probably take me five minutes to walk down just to uh you know i would i would be going back to to the spinning sort of like kind of fishing for pike and perch and stuff like mm -hmm. that um but i would spend all my spare time you know um going down the summer as evenings and stuff like that just being down there my parents had to drag me home to bed to go to school the day after so um yeah and uh, but that eventually that sort of like you know I, I, that was really where i started learning on my own and evolving um fishing wise you know reading books um you know started live baiting you know trying to catch bigger fish than just going down and 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 taking the chance of catching something really trying to get my head around how to uh, you know do differently be more effective if you could say that so that was i was probably around 13 14 years old back then did you have mates that were going along with you? Were you? Did you have a group of friends that were all into fishing or did you something you sort of done on your own? Um, I did it a lot on my own, but I did meet people. Um, you have to remember, I just came back from the UK, so I didn't really have yeah. a lot of friends. Um, mm -hmm. So so it was sort of like, uh, when I, 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 the social part of it, you meet people on the bank, didn't you? So you sort of yeah. like started chatting to them. Even like people that are quite a bit older than me you know you just start talking fishing so um i i, I did i joined a um you know a, a youth club not a fishing club but a youth club that had like a fishing um fishing school for young people i was there for a couple of years and started chatting to a few people there that i went fishing with for a lot of time um so so yeah but i did a lot of time on my own i did actually do that yeah Okay, and how much were you actually looking back across the waters for your information? Was it in Denmark you're looking for your info, or was it you're grabbing that from the UK scene? Oh, uh, obviously at this time, just fishing uh, for uh, for for the predatory fish and stuff like that. I I just I I didn't really get any info. Um, I just went out and tried it. You know, I read some that was mainly Danish books back then um, from some known anglers. So yeah. Um, carp fishing was a bit later, just a couple of years later, when a, a, one of my fishing mates sort of like um, read a book, Danish guy, Kondjels uh, Fussell, who, uh, who wrote a book about carp fishing, um, and he got the idea that he thought we should try that out. So um, then we got a bit of tackle and sort of like um, went out to try it, really, and, and obviously you know how you, 
when you start tying up your first rigs and stuff like that, you read it in a book. And we went out um, for a night on a uh, on a very known lake here, obviously uh, in Denmark. You know, uh, it's difficult to get information back then. It was anyway about where carp were and how many were in there. So you just had to really go along, and and you knew there were some lakes that had been stopped um, by some fishing clubs that you could go on. Um, and we did decided sort of like to, to go out to a funny enough to the shop that I work at now and asked the guy who worked there about, you know, tackle and stuff. And he sold us a little bit, but this was sort of like with, with, without bite alarms and, and, you know, we're using spinning rods and all that kind of stuff just to get into it. And we did our first night. We didn't catch anything on that night. Um, but I was, I was really into it. So I thought it was not, you know, the part of it staying out in, in nature all night and, and, and really sort of like getting the feel for it. Yeah. And you just mentioned there about the tackle shop. That's something that you've been doing for a while now. Yeah, I've I've been working in 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 the tackle shop we're talking about for I think it's twenty years now. Probably it must be twenty years now. Yeah. So that's in your blood, really, isn't it? Carp yeah, fishing. Yeah, it really yeah. is in your blood. When you started going for these carp, were you triggered? Because most people's way of getting into the carp world, they'll be fishing for silverfish, and then they'll hook a carp, and then. The rest is history. That's all they want to get. Was that similar to you, or something you were hearing about, and you thought, "No, I need to catch one of them." I think that I've always sort of like been into going for different species. Um, you know, I've, you know, I, I get a target kind of thing. Um, you know, I've, I did a lot of pike fishing, and and I did a lot of sander fishing, and and I'd had, I'd never caught a pike, uh, a carp, sorry. Um, so so that was my sort of like more that my my mate's idea that he wanted to catch one of those and drag me along on it. Um, and like I said, the first trip we didn't catch anything. And then we went on another lake and we were really lucky. Um, we lost, I, I hooked one on that trip on this lake. Um, and funnily enough, you know, it, it came off because it got tangled in the line. So it snapped the line and it was just very unprofessional, but we didn't really know anything else. And and then we saw like on a second trip, we, you know, the mythical monster there that that was really hard to catch here we we hooked one and we nearly landed it but we didn't manage so so that's all like that's when i really turned on for or really wanted to go carp fishing and then so like um, that was a species that i wanted to, to try more where was your first carp when did you manage to get that hook and actually land it yeah that that was uh actually the weekend after we went to the same spot um and uh used really simple hair rigs you know the old Christ and Merlin and a couple of lead clips and stuff like that. Um, nothing fancy. And I caught three fish that morning. We we're out all night, you know, in this old brolly and it was raining and you know, two guys underneath sleeping on the ground. And we had um, plastic bags over the bottom of our uh, sleeping bag so it wouldn't get wet, all crazy kind of things. But anyway, I managed to land three fish that morning. Unfortunately, my mate didn't get anything. But funnily enough, we caught the fish that I'd lost the weekend before I caught that because it had my rig in its mouth. It was still there. It hadn't shed oh, it. Wow. So uh, that was a bit of, so I think it was eight and a half kilos, which is 17, 18 pounds or something like that. But that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean the Danish scene as well, it's, uh, I'm guessing this is the early nineties, mid nineties. That yeah. would have been. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, even now I would imagine the Danish scene is not, it's not a massive scene of carp fishing, is it? So back then, to catch any carp is a feat in itself. Yeah, but yeah, um, 
I think there there are probably more lakes now with carp in that there were back then. Um, yeah. Or anyway, we know more lakes now that we did back then. Uh, back then, it was very quiet scene. Um, very difficult to get information. People really kept it to themselves. But you would have these in the area that I live. There were four lakes that were quite known, quite big lakes still. You know, we're talking about um, at least 300 acres and bigger that wow. were stocked legally back then by the fishing clubs. Now, that's since been stopped. Um, no lakes can be stocked with carp here anymore. Legally, that is. But that's another story. Um, so those were the lakes that we were going to. And um, I remember actually after fishing on on, on that lake um, with my mate, um, I really got into it. I used a lot of time on it, you know, reading books. Um, back then, that was the early days, not of the internet that way, but, you know, on the English um, web pages as well. I remember um, I would do a bit of shopping on Tacklebox, um, but that was you had to call with your credit card details and all that kind of so getting you know, tackle, the tackle you wanted was quite hard as well. There was a selection in three or four shops in here in Denmark, but very sparse uh, selection um, of, of, of tackle, really. Um, not like it is now, it's much bigger, but but back then it was difficult to get what you wanted. And if you wanted, you were reading like on, on these web pages in the UK about different rigs and stuff like that, um, getting like coded materials, um, Christ, and, Christ and snake bite and stuff like that, that was really difficult to get a hold of back then. Um, so we had to order that from the UK by post uh, back then. Okay. When did you first hear about these big lakes such as Rainbow and when did they catch your eye? Um, that was uh, through my work in the shop actually when I started there. Um, obviously when you start working a place like that with the amount of customers that, that come through and stuff like that, you, you start talking to people and, and I've really been concentrating on fishing carp here in Denmark. Um, and obviously going to different lakes and, and um, doing that part of it. And I hadn't really been looking up, you know, obviously you see, you've seen the uh, some of the old movies about the fishing in France uh, on some of like, like Shanty and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was watching, um, I think it was Gardner did some DVDs. We sold them in the shop called Cartwise. Can't remember which volume it was, but there's one where uh, Richard, uh, Richard Farnan and can't remember if it was Ronnie Boss or something like that. They go to uh, Graviers in, in France and I think they catch fish up to 50 pounds or something like that. Um, and there's another movie with, I think it was Frank Warwick, can't remember, it was Five Days in France, Lee Jackson I think it was, where they catch obviously Scarfish, and which is a very famous fish from there that's gone now and a couple, and, and a couple of other fish. And I think that really sort of got me into it with, with the size of the fish because obviously in Denmark back then, like catching a 40 pounder was was not impossible but it was near impossible and you're seeing like these 50 60 pound fish um i thought that was quite interesting and i knew that was a size that i was never going to catch here so i started playing around with it a little bit and um got some information of some of the uk magazines that i had sent here carp world they have an international uh, section in there back then uh, i think steve brig did, did that one with with all kind of updates from all over the world and um, we had a customer in the shop called Martin who uh, arranged trips for people abroad. Like he would drive them down to Spain to fish for catfish and stuff like that and did a few car trips. And eventually I got in contact with him. Um, this must have been back in 2006. Um, and so I asked him, you know, um, if he would be interested in, in like doing a trip 
um, for the shop where we could invite some customers along down to these lakes. And um, he obliged in the end and said, yeah, he would love to. That could be quite interesting. Um, and then obviously the whole booking kind of thing back then was a bit different than it is now. Um, so uh, he he um, he spent a lot of time trying to get us on there. I remember Rainbow Lake was one of the places where we got the details from one of these magazines and you could only book it by fax. <laughs> um, and uh, he, he'd sent a fax down there and obviously then Pascal, who's the owner, would reply to that fax um, and he would then write, you know, in French that you could have these swims. Back then it was still possible to book that way and, and we got a winter, I think it was January, last weekend of January, last week, um, and we got three pegs, so that would be six people and he tried to get onto it, obviously with Luke's, like back then, Gravier's, um, you had to call on a certain date between this and that and, you know, I think he waited six hours on there to get finally get through and he got the last week the year after um, which was the last week of November so from there on you know obviously we, we, we were on those lakes um, but that's a long time ago and things so much different now obviously but mm. yeah we're really lucky <laughs> I was just going to ask Peter did, yeah. you find, did you find it difficult to get onto Rainbow or because um, you hear you hear in the media and you hear on sort of YouTube and things that Rainbow is notoriously difficult to get on. It's sort of a who you know kind of lake. Um, was it not the case back then in the sort of the early two thousands? I know you were just explaining it. Was it were you sort of lucky with how you got onto Rainbow with, with the guy you knew, or was it before it sort of closed up ranks? I think it was probably a couple of things, but I think definitely back then you could get winter swims uh, now it's obviously impossible but I think Martin was just um, there wasn't much left obviously and and, and he, we, we decided to go anyway you know January is not the optimal time but but back then we just wanted to go fishing and try to catch some of these big fish um, so but yeah it's definitely changed back then you could fax you could obviously book it that way and you had a, a selection of swims whatever you had available in front of you yeah. and that's obviously changed um, now I think that you need to be in the system in some way or need to be invited by someone. Um, there's always stories about, you know, hear people saying, all right, they've driven down there. They were in France anyway. So they knocked on the gate and asked for a swim and they got one. You hear those stories. I've never met one who's done that, but it might be true. Okay. It might not be. Okay. okay. Um, now, what, is the main difference between you would say a normal day ticket water and one of these big fish waters just to get the feel why do these lakes become so popular because we have waters um, and there's waters all over Europe especially France that, that can boast big fish perhaps not the size quite the size of rainbow but they're getting very close but still rainbow and graviers are still having this huge iconic feel to them everyone who goes to rainbow they say there's no other place comes anywhere close to these type of waters can you try and give the listeners an idea of what that atmosphere is like and and what sort of separates them from your standard day ticket um yeah well i think obviously rainbow is a, is 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 a very special place obviously the whole makeup of the lake um the surroundings um it's just very wild, you know, it's, it's, it's this old, like, um, it's been dug back in the days and you've got like big old pine trees and it's withered away and, and stuff like that. So it is a special place. It's a really, really special place, wild boar and you've got huge koi pews and all different kinds of stuff. 
um, the difference between that and a normal day ticket, like I haven't been to that many, obviously, like uh, I guess when you talk about day tickets, like uh, you're thinking about just the normal, like um, um, obviously the makeup is totally different. Um, it's, st it's still a, a, a commercial lake. Don't misunderstand me. There's the swims around it, but they're not like pegged in um, made up swims. So you still get a feel on it there that you're still a bit in the wild. You know, it's left to itself in some way. Um, it is, um, I think, difference between being that and obviously what I fish here is is, is that um, when you get there, you buy your swim, if you understand what I mean. Um, you get an area of the lake, this is yours for a week, you know. Um, um, and and Luke's lake is totally different, isn't it, really? It, it's not that, it's not as big um, and it's obviously more managed. Um with the grass being cut and, and, and still a nice place. But I think that would probably be a, still be different. The whole difference about the places down there is obviously the general size of the fish. I think that's probably the most um, with Luke's place. It's just he's got so many big fish in there. Um, I don't know any place like it, really. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's probably one of those things. Okay. I'd love to step foot on the banks of Rainbow. Ever since I've been carp fishing, it's always been one of these magical places that I think most carp anglers love to to dip their rod in there. It's, yeah, with the size of the fish and just to experience it and have a chance at these uh, iconic fish. What is the record at Rainbow at the moment? Oh, I, I'm not sure, um, to be honest, what it is now. It's, it, it's over 40 kilos, definitely. So so um, we're look yeah. Sorry, sorry, we're looking well into their ninety pound mark, are we? I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I think uh, I read that the other day. I think Martin Lott still holds that, doesn't he? Yeah, he might. Uh, he might have done that with with yeah. the old that that Brixy fish that was down yeah. there. Um, yeah. Um, that might be it. I know that when we were there a couple of years back, there were two Dutch guys. They had a, I think it was forty-one kilos, a common, on the swim next to us. So. Uh, called the scarfish um which is a yeah. massive fish so yeah okay so you no know, there's just many big fish in there it's an insane place really um it's a lovely place kind of you know it's wild wild place <laughs> if there's any chance or any hope that anyone who's listening to this who wants to get onto rainbow i know it's not in your powers or who, who you say goes but is there actually a cat's hella chance say the likes of myself or matt or anyone listening to this will be able to go to Rainbow or to Gravias. Do you think that's possible in this day and age? Or do you think it's such a close-knit group now that managed to get on there? And there's so many special anglers that get to fish that. Um, do you think just the normal everyday angler will not get on there? I think that Rainbow definitely. I know that they, they, they opened up a couple of years back. Um, obviously with all this COVID stuff, you know, and people having bookings uh, cancelled and stuff. I don't know what it looks like for the future. But I think... I know there's a Facebook page um, where the owner's son is on, and he's. You can all. I wouldn't say try and contact him. He probably gets loads of. Uh, but I think it's Rainbow's probably the hardest place that I know on for people to get onto. Um, I wouldn't even know how to start that if I if if I wasn't lucky to have bookings on there. Um, mm. Obviously, Luke's play Gravy is a bit different. Um, I think that you could get on there. Mm. Um, the whole issue with Luke's place is that you obviously need to be four or five anglers, really, um, because he does the whole lake booking, doesn't he? Um, which is the way he runs. He does do some pairs weeks on there, what he's called, is where you get two groups of two. 
but I think that's a possibility to get on there um, for 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 most people. You know, uh, it's just a question of sort of like giving him a bell or an email mm-hmm. and uh, see what he has left. But I think you could get on there. That's not. I think that'd be all right. Okay. Have you fished um, Euro Aqua at all? I know that gets some pretty bad press. I think uh, that I've heard over the years about Euro Aqua with the uh, with the owners, but. I mean, I haven't fished it, so I cannot really say. But have you fished it yourself? No, I've, no, I've never been there. Um, it's, um, I've, I've, it's not been a place that I've really been thinking about going to, to be honest. Um, again, you know, massive fish, but yeah, no, nope, I haven't mm. been there. Can't, uh, okay. can't say. You know, obviously, I've seen the pictures from down there. For those who, they're, they're gigantic, aren't they? They look mm. like freaks of nature, like giant. You know, like really, mm. so not really small heads and these huge bodies. You know, like mm. Frankenstein's monsters. Impressive mm. fish, but yeah. And and you also fish um, Danny Fairbrass's lake, don't you? Gigantica being part of a in the no recorder. Um, you get a chance to fish on there. I mean, that's another water, another venue that most anglers would love to step foot on. Um, the fishing there are actually getting humongous, and that's a credit to Danny and the team that do such a great job down there. I can't remember what it was because I think many years before Danny bought that, I was very close to fishing that lake. Was it Saint Etienne or something? Uh, it was called uh, Domaine de Saint Christophe, I think it was called. Oh, Saint Christophe, yeah. was it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Back okay. then. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was before Danny took it over. Uh, yeah, well, I've. We do. That's a lovely place. Um, very technical angling. I love it down there. It's it's totally different to to, to the other lakes because obviously it's casting only. And there's been um, we went there. Um, I did a shot trip on there um, for the whole lake. I can't remember how many years ago, but this is the year after he bought it. Um, we went on there in April, um, and it's a lovely place. Fishing there is stunning, you know, and and the casting, the whole kind of. It's really I like it on there. It. it, it um, challenges you uh, a lot um, mm. skills wise as well and I've been, we've been going there ever since um, we've got an October week on there that's sort of like our regular week and um, yeah, the, you know the waiting list for, for the people that want to go here is, is so long that I can't even keep up with it so it's you know people don't want to give their spot away for that one no, but they don't. It's such an all year round water as well now I mean Danny on his latest uh, masterclass I think it's his latest masterclass one. He uh, he absolutely cleaned up. I think it was was it January or sometime. I can't remember what month. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was true. a winter month, and he absolutely uh, he was screaming reels for for the yeah. days he was there. Um, it's quite incredible. Yeah, I can't remember if he had forty six fish or something for that week, which is absolutely insane on there. Um, it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now that that's a really good watch, so I recommend anyone to watch that one with Danny. Okay, now there's also lots of different techniques that you would fish. Um, rainbow being specifically one. Now there is a thing there where you have uh, where you use a bottle, don't you? Is that right for catching and snaring these carp to have the line going directly down? Is that right from Rainbow? Uh, people obviously do it in different ways. Um, you do have type of rig where you've got the lead on and then you obviously yes you call it bottle rigs or you know you've got a float on there or a polystyrene bowl people do it differently obviously to keep the line 
off the bottom because the, the, the depths vary so much there and you've got loads of snags. Mm. Um, so it allows you to fish in places um, that you would normally be able to gain, gain access to uh, with those rigs. But I, I do it differently. I would usually do a double lead kind of system where you have a uh, quite a long piece of lead core um, where you then have a, a, a heavy lead and a lighter lead on there. So I like to keep everything pinned down nicely. So I think the, the lead core is about six foot long with a lead oh. in each end. Yeah, and then that then goes up to the uh, the flotation device. Um, that's the way I like to fish it anyway. So you've got six foot bit of lead core. So you'd have, I would imagine, the lighter lead up the line, and then you'd have the heavier lead at the end of the lead core. Uh, and then when you say your flotation device, so the line would be going, where would the line be going from the, the lead? Because obviously that's going to be sitting on the ground. Where does the flotation device come in that? Uh, well, the makeup of it is then you obviously say so you so you take the one end, so you've got the one lead down, you know, the hook end. Then you go up the lead core. You've got another lead on there. Both of these are obviously ditch on a take. Um, and then you've got I use three rod lengths of sixty pound mono. After that, which I use um, polystyrene balls or foam balls with a swivel on. They slide on there, and then I've got a little rubber bead on that, and that then stops. By the where the knot joins to the to the braided line I use, mm -hmm. so that means the when you sort of like lower down your rig, the float would slide up your uh, your mono and it obviously sit where the where the uh, braid is connected to the mono. So is that still sitting on the deck then? No, the float's on the surface. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's intriguing. Did they, I mean that's a technique? I mean I haven't seen. I mean, is that just unique to Rainbow? Do you see that used anywhere else? Or do you use that anywhere else, should I ask? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've used it when I was fishing in Poland. Well, we were fishing in between all these old tree stumps and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, you could sort of like fish places that you wouldn't, where you would get snagged straight away. Um, that worked on there. I've used it in, in like scaled it down here in Denmark, uh, where I was fishing on a lake where I, the fish was sitting behind it, a fallen tree like, and I could then, you know, very scaled down but so like you had a, a lighter lead and, and you would use a piece of lead core but I would have a, a little sliding lead just up the line and a very little like uh, what do you call them uh, bubble floats with plastic floats we call them here so like small ones so you could cast out your rig and then feel it down and then just tighten up ever so slightly so like you know you would get your, uh, your, your lead core straightened out and then lower the second lead down and then the line would then sort of like be held over by this little float over the uh, the fallen tree and, and interestingly enough so like when you got the bite the fish would always swim away from the tree and then you could sort of like just you would uh, walk along the bank and you could then play sort of like play them um from there around where there wasn't any tree if you were fishing up against the tree you know they go straight in there or at the point mm. of the tree under a sunken tree but if you like cast over it when you got the take they would swim away for some you know some reason i think it was the pull of the line um, and that worked very well on there. I caught some really nice fish on there. Quite a difficult place anyway. But so like when you when you figure it out, you know. So yes, I do incorporate it at other places where it's allowed. Obviously, it's not at all waters that you can fish it like that. Okay. And is there any sort of other techniques like that you would incorporate in snaggy conditions like rainbow or or is gravius quite snaggy? I would imagine or. No, Gravius is uh, isn't snaggy. It's 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 an old gravel pit, and I think Luke uh, removes most of the stuff around there that you can get tangled up in. Obviously, for fish safety, Rainbow is 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 another monster. So much woodwork in there that there's no chance of removing anything. So obviously, you've got to fish around it or against it. Um, 
yeah, well, different things we do, obviously, is, is uh, we use bank sticks. We can fish around them if you've got to go around the islands yeah. uh, into the gullies and gaps. Um, you know, you obviously use hooks to get a different pull. So if, you, if you've if you got a snag somewhere um, that you can't fish directly to, then you might put a bank stick or a hook in a tree opposite that and then run your line to that and then run it to your rods. So sort of like when you get the take, mm-hmm. you then sort of like tighten up to that or walk backwards and then you'll drag the fish away from the snag. You can then go into the boat and obviously um, get the line to the hook and then get it out of there. And then the real battle then commences, obviously. So... <laughs> Is that the washing line technique? I think that's what they call it. Is I don't right? know if they, I, they might call it that. I'm not sure. I think that's what, isn't that where you fish the opposite banks or like to a clip? Yeah. No, it's yeah. not exactly the same. Not but the it's same. the same idea. Yeah. It's the same idea, sort of. Here the line's running through a hook, but that mm. hook might be, could be a, a far bit away from where you're fishing. Really. Oh, it's just okay. To, yeah, it's okay. just to get a different line pull. You're not fishing like um, where you, you're lowering the rig down the, yeah. the lead. The, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, oh. um, yeah. That's clever. I mean, I don't know if you get away with that in uh, a lot of the waters. So I suppose you, because you've got another hook on the line, then that'd be classed as two hooks. If you know. No, 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 no. It's it's like a piece of metal that's formed as a hook with a screw in that you then screw into the wood, and then you sort of like run your line through that eye. Will that hook come out? That it should pull out, though, shouldn't it? No, no, that's stuck in the tree. Okay, so how do you navigate the line away from that? Because you you're still playing the fish through that. that no, eye, no. That... Yeah, but you gotta go. You gotta get in the boat and then obviously get out to the hook, get your line out of that, um, that that eye sort of thing. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so obviously, what you're doing is 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 it's just to get a different pull. So, obviously, everything's locked up tight when you're snag fishing. They're not really tight, um, and and the, the rods are tied down and all that kind of stuff, like you see. And when you get the take, your rod snaps over, obviously bends over. So you grab, grab the rod if you're snack fishing, then you walk backwards. I wouldn't really run, you know, just get, keep mm. a steady pressure on the fish from the beginning to get it away from the snag, gain some line, obviously to get a fair distance away from the snag. And then I would then go into the boat, obviously then use the electric outboard to get out to the area where the hook is then in the tree or something. Then you just lift it out of the hook and then you can play okay. the fish from there. Oh, yeah, that's wow. the way it works. Yeah. Wow. That must be... Um squeaky bum time when you're doing that i mean that's uh to, to have that angle on that as well as trying to play the fish and then get into the hook to take it off i mean obviously it works um because obviously you get fish on the bank with it but yeah that uh that does take some cojones to do, to do it that way it would for me anyway um yeah i i've i I've, I've, you know you could say anyway you know I've, it's all about i work with angles don't you really sort of like thinking about how to fish somewhere where you can keep the fish away from 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 where it's trying to go, so you don't lose it. Obviously, you have to still mm. have to think about fish safety. Um, mm-hmm. As as you know, I would never fish a place where you know there's you know not a big chance of landing the fish. Yeah, and you do see silly things done on there. You know, people because obviously there isn't that many rules. So you know, we've seen some crazy stuff as well. People using wire as leaders and stuff like that. Um, mm. But yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, we're going to just move into a bit more about the way that you would actually bait and your baiting approach to these huge fish. Do you still go for the little and often approach? Obviously, over here, a lot of the top anglers that we speak to on the podcast, they always say put a little bit in at a time and sort of fill you in. Is that the same that you would you would approach, or is it a case of just throw in quite a substantial amount of bait in? Um, and then just wait 
obviously first of all is the time of year really sort of like depends decides mm. what how much bait to use that's one thing but mm. generally like i like to fish um in the autumn or springtime where the fish are still quite active so uh well, an example is on Gigantica, I wouldn't mind, you know, putting out 15 kilos of boilies uh, the first night on okay. there anyway. And uh, you'll still catch fish on there um, when they get on it. Mm. Um, places like Rainbow, it's it's very much about spot angling because it is like this flat area. So you're like trying to place your rig in front of a snag or like on a ledge or something like that. A lot of types of fishing, there isn't that much open water. So, it, you know, you can use quite a bit of, I would probably use maybe a kilo to two kilos per rod on there to start out with. If it was okay. like, you know, active time that they, they, they big fish, they, they eat quite a lot anyway. Um, and on a place like the Graviers, um, the fish are quite hungry on there. We don't mind using a lot of bait on there. Um, we go through loads of bait. I would probably put, not have a problem with, you know, putting out three, four kilos per rod to start out with just to get them going especially in the in the, in the springtime when they're really feeding okay so what's how much bait would you on average put out over a week on gravius you think mm, obviously it depends on <laughs> on how much how many fish you're catching but everything, yeah yeah you know that's the difference but you know but if, you know you can definitely do a hundred hundred kilo a person wow it's yeah. probably it's probably possible yeah. in a week. Um, usually it would be less, um, but but still, you know, between sixty and hundred kilos in a week. Yeah. Okay. So if you're on them, then yeah, it'll be hundred kilos, and that's understandable because they're huge fish. I can just imagine them hoovering. I mean, a one fifty one fifty pound carp would hoover up. I would imagine a couple of kilos in no time. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, that's not an issue with that. And you've got to think about another thing is that sort of like for some reason, you know, obviously when they start feeding on there or, and the other lakes, you know, you've got to keep them fed because these are not, it's not a place like, you know, um, a huge lake where the fish come through, they eat something and move somewhere else in a lot of types in these lakes, they'll stay in, a, stay in an area for a period of time um, because obviously boilies and stuff has become their part of their natural diet. So um, I know that, you know, they say that, they spook off and things like that but you know we've had loads of times where you you know you feed them put in bait catch a fish you know people think all right you know I'll try and see if i can nick another one off that spot whatever um but if you pull more bait in you know you get more bites mm. okay okay and is it is it always boilies or do you go down a particle route do people go down the particle route and just because obviously i would imagine it's going to keep them interested for longer. They're going to be filling about for longer, but I don't know. Maybe they just prefer a, a bigger lump, a bigger, bigger meal with with less effort involved in eating it. Yeah, I could agree with that definitely. I think um, I don't. I'm not a big fan of particles myself on on these lakes anyway, because you have got some bream, and you know I think the smaller bits you start using, the bigger chances of of, mm. of them start coming in. Though, you know, you don't want to plague. Uh, bream plague when you're sitting there you know they can be quite irritating so I generally just go for boilies um, you know you can use tie I use tiger nuts with the baits on um, on rainbow um, I like tiger nuts you can't use them on gigantica so obviously we can't put them in there and at Luke's place you know he doesn't want you to use too many so there we just go with the boilies only approach as well because if you get I think probably you know if you start getting bream 
you know, if you use particles, pellets, all that kind of stuff, especially at that time of year, we usually going in springtime and autumn, you can really, you know, drag in the bream with, with, with using all those bits and pieces. So I never go for them. I just think that, you know, boily fishing only is, is, is tends to catch me a lot of fish and generally nice sized fish as well. And, and how would you apply them boilies? Is it from the stick or a bait boat or straight out on the boat and, and scoop it in? Um, on Luke's, on Gravier's and on Rainbow, obviously use boats. So that would just be from the boat. Fairly okay. simple. Um, yeah. Easy just to get a lot of bait out quickly and, and you know, get your rig in and then you've got peace and quiet. Mm. On Gigantica, you can't use boats. So uh, at the distances we're fishing, it's generally, um, you know, can be with throwing sticks. And if it's longer than that, you know, we're using spots or spoms to get them out which mm. is hard work. <laughs> they don't allow bait boats on Gigantica, no? No, no, it's casting no. only, yeah. So, is, that the, is that the same for, for Rainbow and Gravias, no bait boats? Uh, you can use bait boats on both, as far as I remember, yeah. It's okay. Not an issue. Okay. If you but want if to got, do that. Yeah, I mean, if you've got a boat, I'd be going out in a boat. There's no way I'd be wasting my time with a bait boat. And I just no, think... no, no reason to do that, but I've seen people using bait boats on Rainbow. Because you can just get that view from the top. How clear is the water there? Is it possible if you've got a scope in the water to see the bottom? Uh, no, no other places. Rainbow is like really brown, very dark kind of colour. So you okay. can't see down very far. And okay. gravity is like a usual clay pit. You can probably see maybe two feet. But then oh, okay. From a visual point of view, it's, it's pretty useless. But it's, it's just, I suppose, it's just a great way. You, you've got prodding sticks when, in your boat. Uh, I don't use prodding sticks personally. Um, I use my echo sounder. Um, okay. And with with that, I can generally see what type of bottom it is um, okay. on the bottom line. So so I use that if I'm unsure of anything. I've got a um, I use a very short kind of rod that I've made up. It's used for ice fishing, but I've got a multiplier reel on there, really thick, mm. um, heavy braid and a heavy lead on there, and a little treble there where I've bent the barbs and cut off the uh, the points, so I can then dump that on the bottom to feel what it's like okay and uh, uh, a lot of the bait that you use uh, in the boilie what, what size are we looking at are you are you using big gobstopper boilies or are you going for the smaller 15 mils that type of thing no i i, I generally just use 22 mils um okay uh, for most of my fishing if it's colder i'll i'll do 18s you have to think about it, like with the size of mouth the fish have, two tennis balls, two tennis mm, balls at once. Yeah. So a, a 22 mil bait for them is not still a big bait. So. What is your rig of choice for fishing somewhere like Rainbow? Um, on there I do like special, uh, a special kind of uh, rig where I, uh, I splice a piece of lead coal um, with the loop on each end. And then I've got like titanium wire that you actually use for pike fishing. It's very, it's very uh, stiff. But it, it's got no memory, and I'll insert that into that instead of the uh, the lead core part. So it's it's got like a titanium. So it's like a boom, and on okay. that I'll then I'll I'll like make like a multi rig on one end, and obviously the other end is just looped onto the mm -hmm. the quick change part of it. So it's really strong, you know. It's like fifty pounds, yeah, um, with size one or size two hook on there. Um, so that's that's for there, but that's obviously because the fishing is what it is. You know, mm. you don't want anything to be pulled apart when you're dragging on it. Um, if you if you need a fish to stop, you want it to stop. Um, mm. You don't want anything snapping. So that's the reason for there. Um, on graviers, I use you know quite simple kind of um, 
uh, not multi-rig, um, a combi-rig, um, made out of sort of like a stiff fluorocarbon material and, and, and a softer piece and, um, and, and just a normal hair rig with a wide gate hook on written a snowman setup has been doing well on there. So that's really yeah. nothing to it on there, really just an inline lead. Um, and on Gigantica, obviously it's, it's uh, casting. So I use stiffer rigs on there, like German rigs. I like that. Uh, okay. that's really good. So it's nothing like revolutionary. I just think it needs to be simple and it, you don't want it to tangle. And I think one thing you have to remember, especially if you've got silverfish and they're quite big ones, you need your rig to be quite tangle free as well, because they are going to move around your bait. There's no way they're not doing it. Over here, we, as you're probably fully aware, the Ronnie rig and, and spinner rigs are pretty much on most anglers' lines these days. Is that similar to these Graviers and Rainbows and Gigantica? Do you see that much on there, or does that all go out the window and they have to fish a completely different way well, when it comes to uh, rig choice? I think on Gigantica, I've seen the spinner rig used a fair bit, obviously because it's quite tangle free. On Rainbow, I you could probably make it up in in <laughs> in hundred pound mono or something like that, but I've never seen it used on there. I, I think it'd be difficult to tie it up um, in those heavy materials. And on Luke's plays, probably people have used them. It's not something that we really talk about with the other other, other anglers on there, to be honest. Mm. You should never get to meet them on rain on on Luke's play, sorry, um, because they're always gone before you arrive. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, very true. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't really get to speak to the other anglers that have been on there and what they've been doing, um, which is actually quite nice, to be honest. Not because I don't want to meet them and talk to them, but I think it's nice to arrive at a place where someone else has been fishing and they're not, and, and you're starting like a fresh slate. They might have had you know, 20 fish that week on a, off a spot, but you actually don't know where it is. Because if you mm. knew, you'd go straight on it. Mm. Usually, a lot yeah. of people would. And so, you know, I think it's nice mm. to go down and do your own thing. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'd be, um, when I've gone to France and, and fished exclusive lakes, is I'd like to know, not that it's, it's a massive thing for me, but it's nice for me to know where they've put the bait, not necessarily where they've caught the fish from, but where they've been putting the bait. And it just gives me an idea of where my clean canvas is. But it really doesn't matter that much uh, to me. But, yeah, it's, it's all nice to where they put the bait. But, yeah, you sort of work that out anyway. You've, you've got to go down your own road because if if it if you do mess it up and you've tried it on somebody else's spot, then it's, it's not a nice way to blank. If you're going to blank, do it on your terms. Yeah, I agree, definitely. It's quite interesting on Gigantic anyway. You know, a lot of people, because they they share information on there. So they will tell you, um, the bailiffs on there will tell you like, okay, what's happened the week before at what range where they're fishing, how many wraps. So people can actually just go in and fish on the same spots, which is a good idea. Sometimes, you know, that'll do fish. Um, but I think sometimes on lakes like that, it can also spook fish off if they're caught off, especially because there is, a, there's not much weed in there anymore, but there is a bit. So if people need to fish the clear areas, well, sometimes, you know, if that gets fished all the time with bait, yes, you'll get fish over it. But at some stage, you know, a lot of the, the fish that have been caught a lot, they'll start spooking off that area. I'm sure of that. I'll tell you what, what we'll do, we'll go on to our first feature, our Nolly Nightmares feature. This is where we ask you for a, a nice fishing fail that you can give to the listeners for a good chuckle while they listen to this podcast. So if you've got anything you can present to us, that'd be great. Nolly Nightmares. I've got quite a few. Um, Probably um, 
the most embarrassing one, if you could say that, is is I was fishing on a on a on this forest lake I was talking to you about earlier, um, and around that snack tree there, and um, I was out for a weekend trip, and and as you know, you usually bring a bit of extra clothing if you should be so unlucky to get wet for some reason. Um, I had a take in the morning, and and unfortunately got snagged up. I could see the fish was still on, and I knew that snag. It wasn't too bad, so sometimes you know you could swim out, and if you got the right angle on it, the fish would get free. So I thought, all right, I'll I'll swim out. So I, you know, stripped down to uh, to probably just my my undies and a t-shirt, swam out with the rod, and um, got the fish loose, and eventually uh, got back to to the shore. It wasn't that far out, and 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 got it in the net. And then you were like, all right, I was standing there, I had to weigh it and everything else. That's fine enough. Um, I was thinking, all right, well. So I hang my clothes up to dry in the tree and I had an extra change of clothes, which I then put on and um, probably half an hour, I went back to the bed chair and it, was, it wasn't that cold, but yeah, I had another take and it snagged up again. And I thought, all right, well, I'll have to swim out again. And I did that. I was lucky enough to get the fish again. Um, so I had two fish in the sack and uh, two pair of undies and two t-shirts hanging the trees. Then what happens? You don't have any more clothes. So you uh, you decide sort of say oh, nothing else is going to happen. So you, uh, you you decide to sleep just as nature decided. You look underneath your bed chair, and um, about an hour later, I get another take, and then it, <laughs> then you know what happens. <laughs> just run out, grab the rod, and all of a sudden you're just standing there without no clothes on. And I'll just say this is a forest lake, but you know people do walk around it in the morning. <laughs> and run around it <laughs> and so did these two nice ladies that were out jogging oh, and dear. I, I promise you that um, it's not because I'm not a, uh, I'm not that you know I, I don't blush easily but at that stage I must say I, I did actually they were looking at me when they ran by and I did actually run straight into the lake <laughs> with <laughs> fighting the fish just to get at least into waist deep water so they weren't going to put weren't going to call the police um with that one um so that was a bit of a fail um, not thinking about that just standing there butt naked playing a fish nine o'clock I hadn't thought about it so with clothing oh really uh, that's a bit stupid what we do for fish, eh? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's probably my worst. As long as they didn't have their binoculars out, Paddy, you're okay, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that small. <laughs> no, so that's that. That's one of them. But I've I've had loads of crazy things happen, to, you know, to us on 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 trips as well at France. You know, um, old lorry or old. Uh, buses that we were driving customers in breaking down on, on the freeway in, in in holland and we were lucky enough to have a guy on there as well you know we were halfway there and you're just thinking oh, i've got, got six guys in here that paid for a trip and got the group organizer standing there he doesn't know what to do and then one of the guys raised and oh you know i'm a mechanic i know what to do and he took the car apart on the freeway and fixed this broken pipe you know it took six hours and we got it back together <laughs> And this old Russian thing would then drive, you'd probably drive on, on vodka or something. But we went, managed to get down there in the end and did the fishing. I remember when we came back driving through the, um, having to drive that van or the uh, bus back, it fell apart when we drove through the through the driveway back to Denmark. I remember all the seats were falling off and stuff like that. Oh, that was another one. So, oh, yeah, no. loads of crazy things that have been happening. Well, thanks for that, mate. That's, that's brilliant. Being naked, you don't, you don't see that very often. An angler naked playing a fishing. That's uh, them girls will talk about that for a while. 
Yeah, they, they looked a bit pale. You know, yeah. it's, it's a very posh kind of area. So, like, you know, they, they, I don't think they'd seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably thinking that's some kind of pervert there. What is he doing? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you never know. I don't know, mate. You might start a new craze, you know, uh, naturist fishing. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I don't want to be fishing on those lakes then. I don't know what that <laughs> Okay. Uh, we'll get back to the subject. Um, what are the big typical mistakes that you see people make on these type of waters? Perhaps I would imagine it's less experienced anglers. Um, I wouldn't say less experienced anglers, because I think anyone who fishes these type of waters would have a certain amount of knowledge. I would imagine a certain amount of years of carp fishing. But what are the type of mistakes you think, you know, you're pushing your luck, that's not going to get you a fish, or if that gets you a fish, you're not going to keep hold of it? Well, I think on Rainbow, I think definitely the first thing that people do is obviously your tackle needs to be up to par. You know, it, it needs to be needs to be bomb-proof, you know, doesn't matter what brand it is or anything else. You know, it needs to be really, really strong. Your line needs to be strong. Um, your knots need to be, you know, everything needs to be tested before you put that rig out there. Um, the second mistake on there, I think, is, is, is obviously people fishing too close to snags where they're not going to have a chance of landing fish. It's fair enough if you have 10 bites in a spot in a week, but if you only land one or zero of them, it makes no difference, does it? So I think that's one thing, you know, on there as well. I think the second thing that I see on, on other lakes is, is definitely uh, people's rig choice. Um, gets too finicky sometimes with too many bits and bobs on there. Um, keep it simple, you know. I don't think the rigs that you should be using on a lake like this should be different from what you're using anywhere else. If it catches you fish where you're fishing, it will also catch fish on there. You know, you always got these rumors going around, like on Gigantic at some stage, people saying, oh, you're not going to catch anything on pop-ups on there. You know, it doesn't work. And Well, lo loads of people have caught on chug, chug rigs since then and that kind of stuff, you know. So so you get these rumors as well. I think you should just go your own way. And, and obviously, it's always nice to have information before you go. But don't change too much about what you're doing. In the end, it's still just a lake, more or less. So carp are carp, aren't they, really? So uh, if, if your stuff works where you come from, bring that, start from there. Don't try to, to, to go overboard too much with making, you know, things change too much. And another thing is that, another difference is, if you've got a lake like this, you rented the swim or the lake for a week. So it's essentially like, if you haven't been there before, you're turning up somewhere else. And I think, a lot of people probably tend sort of like to, to do go in and say, all right, we've heard that a lot of bait works here. So we're just going to stick in, you know, at some spot, a lot of bait to start out with and then sit on that. And then, you know, they expect something to happen quite quickly. And if it doesn't in a couple of days, they start to panic and they move their spots all around and, 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 and start baiting up in all different kinds of areas. I think that just does more damage to it. You know, if you decide to go with something, stick on it. That's what I would do. Did people, many people use zigs in these waters? Uh, Gigantica used to be quite popular with sig fishing in the springtime, obviously because of the depth of it, it's um, it's quite deep. Uh, Luke's place, not so much. Um, I've never heard of a fish caught on a sig on there. It's um, it's not that deep. I think it's about three meters, ten, ten foot or something, a bit more like that in general depth. So I wouldn't use on there. And I have never heard. Rainbow is, is, is so... Um, murky um, I've never heard anything on it there either so yeah Gigantica is probably a good mm. bet, right? if you want to try yeah. it 
And I'd be worried for, I mean, you would have to use incredibly strong zig line, wouldn't you, really? I mean, it'd have to be. You're, not, you're probably not going to land any fish on it there, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but just for the uh, the sake of the argument, that, that was what I was thinking. So, yeah. Okay, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's some mistakes there that people, if you go, you know, just keep it simple. Um, just fish what you're confident in. Because I think if you're fishing something that you're not used to fishing, then your confidence is going to be cut in half, really. And it's not going to be very long before you, you go back to, you revert back to type. Uh, so you might waste a day or two. Um, it might work for you, but I just don't think you, you put the patience in as you might need um, with these type of waters. Um, and you go back to something else and, you, and you're pretty much just wasting time in some regards. No, definitely. I think you've got to accept that, that, you know, you go to a place that you haven't been to before. That's the first thing is that, you know, obviously the first part of the puzzle is, is to catch the first one, as people always say. And if that happens on, on, let's say you start fishing on the Saturday, it happens Saturday night. Well, that's great. Then you've, you've got an idea. It could also happen on the Thursday, you know, the week after. And then you've got one day to go, but you still caught one. Um, good example is we were on Marpesh last October. I've never been there before. Um, we we had a whole lake booking on there, um, and you know we've again you know you start you see fish you know we did a draw for swims people get you know get in their swims and I was fishing next to a friend of mine called Simon, and we had an idea because you could use bait boats on there we're just going to start putting on quite a bit of bait um, and just fish on that, and it's really interesting you know after two days you could see that the fish weren't there you know they were jumping down the other corner where there was no one fishing, and we moved on that, you know, that hadn't been a fish out and I think oh, pure luck, whatever, but I think Simon, he caught the biggest fish in the lake the first night, um, after that move and that'd been two days without anything. He caught that one. Um, and obviously so, and that was over much smaller beds of bait as well. Um, but the interesting part was I would, that you know, we would stay in that area and fish that. And I think I didn't catch a fish until Thursday. Um, and in the end, you know, I should have been quicker to sort. Of, I just realized that it was a question of, in the end, you know, what we were doing was actually when you saw fish showing, you then, you know, they were out of distance, but use your bait boat to go out there just with the two handfuls of boilies and then, you know, a normal, you rig in there and just dump it and you'd catch quite quickly. Then the fish would move on. So you had to be chasing them a little bit on there. And we, I didn't figure that out until late. But then, you know, he caught four fish in the last 24 hours. So... So you get, you know, you see sort of like, you know, we hadn't been there before. So we just go with the normal bait and weight kind of thing, because obviously, you know, there's big fish in there. They should start eating or start feeding on your bait, but they didn't really. So you had to sort of use smaller amounts and wait for them to move in or get on them. It's your strengths as well. Don't book up a week on a lake where you have to fish at 180 yards. You own small reels, 2.75 Tesco rods. Pick a lake that fish to your strengths. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's no reason. To, well, we see that on, you know, you don't have Gigantica is like a renowned distance water, but you don't have to fish at distance on there yeah. to catch fish. Um, there was a period of time when there was a lot of weed on there. So you had to get far out to get over the weed. So that was reason. But you did see anglers come down there, like you're saying, with two and a half pound uh, test curve rods and, you know, Shimano bait, small Shimano bait runners. And you're just thinking, well, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but at the way the thing's looking now you're going to be fishing in, in, in a lot of weed 
um, or in the edges where the fish probably are not, not are at this time, uh, time of year. So I totally agree. It's, it's obviously do your research for once. You know, that's very important. So choose the right water before. Uh, otherwise, you could definitely having a hard time from the get go. And there's no reason for doing that. I think also when you've got the lake to yourself somewhere like Gravius, it makes it easier. You, you should take that option of chasing fish because I think a lot of people make that mistake, don't they, where you have an exclusive lake and they'll just rest on their laurels. My bait's there, that's where I am, and that they come to me. You put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. You should always go looking for them, perhaps try some corners or some areas where they could be holding up in. Uh, and try and snare them out that way. Um, yeah, like I said, especially when the lake is exclusive. Obviously, it's difficult if you're fishing somewhere like Rainbow. It's not exclusive. You just can't turn up in somebody else's swim or no. or going to another swim. You know, it's you, you're stuck there. So your your eggs are in, in theory in one basket. But yeah, if you've got an exclusive lake, yeah, make the most of it um, and try and get to any nook and cranny. Because the remarkable thing that I found fishing European waters is just the amount of fish and the size of the fish and the small area they can hold up in is quite incredible. You know, you can find, you know, 10 or 15 fish um, all above 30 pound mark and that they're literally in a small corner of the lake. And if you can find, locate them and find them in that corner, then you're on a winner. Um, but you need to be obviously on the move and, and proactive to find them. Yeah, I've had my eyes open to that situation before. Have you found that yourself? Uh, I totally agree, definitely. I've seen that um, uh, instance at, at Graviers once. There, um, I remember there was one, it's not a corner as per se, but the, the opposite bank anyway. Um, there's a bush there. I can't say, you know, we're seeing fish, a few fish boshing out of there. But I remember, the, you know, you could go in there, put the rig in, and, you know, you'd probably just do like 15 baits around it. And... I think then you do a fish and, you know, get more, you know, do the same thing all the time. Mm. And I was talking to the other guys that were having a really rough time that, yeah, that week, um, down the other end, uh, two friends of mine were fishing and one of the guys, he had one fish, the other guys blanked for that week. And on that one rod that was on the fish, I had 13 bites on that one rod mm. and I had another rod that did two fish, but whatever. Um, but it was, it was just interesting because I remember talking to them. I was really wishing for them to catch something. So, you know, obviously, you know, you want yourself to catch, yes, but you also want the other guys to do well. It's, it's part of having a successful, successful trip. It's all like for everybody to have a good time. You know, you can't mm. obviously tell them to catch, but, but I was thinking, okay, you know, if you started catching the fish, maybe they'd sort of like move off at some stage but they never did they just stuck in there they never moved mm. which is exactly like you were describing it it's all like you have this little area and they you know they were 30 pounds to yeah over 70 pounds the fish in there so you know they were just there so definitely if you find then, them the area yeah. you can catch them yeah and also you're, you're going to angle for them in a way where you're not going to spook them all out. I mean, I know what you're saying and you want, yeah, you want everybody to have a good time but you, you're going to be trying to to get them out of that that little hole or that corner where they're all sitting, you know, in the in the best way to keep them there. Because um, obviously the last thing you want is them all to go off and you end up blanking for the rest of the week. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's true. Right. Okay. We're going to move on to our next feature, uh, which is our quickfire five. Uh, I'm just going to ask you five easy carp related questions and you just give me one answer. All right. 
Okay, we'll just go off. Clip high five. Uh, right, so the first question is fully scaled or leather? Fully scaled. Okay. Barbed or barbless? Barbed. Mono or fluoro? Fluorocarbon. Okay. Four. I mean, this this might be a little bit. I, I might have to up this one for you because obviously <laughs> you, you're you're a big fish man. So we'll go for you. We'll go four forties or one fifty. I'd do four forties. You do four forties. Okay. Yeah, I do four forties. And the last one. Real handles in or out? Um, definitely out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Do, do you see that? I mean, obviously, these stellar places like Graviers and Rainbow, I don't think the owners would be too impressed to have to see their uh, to see their clients with their real handles in. Do you uh, have you seen that at all or? I no, I've I've never seen it on Rainbow. I think uh, on there that's not a way to go. Um, that would probably be going to war without the trigger on your gun. Um, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, um, yeah. but I, I don't know if the Graviers Luke has got a few rules on there. <laughs> I'd love to see people do it on there. That'd be lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've never seen it on. Oh, I, I haven't seen it on anywhere. To be honest, um, it, it's um, it's not something that um, that's very popular here. To be honest. Okay. And have you actually seen anyone come unstuck in a way with the with the lake owners? I know probably everyone who fishes there is something they're most of them I would imagine are repeat anglers. I know they're they're carp fishing etiquette um at these places now, but have you have you seen anything where people have been close to being thrown off or have been thrown off? Um yeah, obviously there's been um there's been issues at Rainbow, obviously. It's been general sort of like with, uh, because Pascal is being so large and you trust people, you know, obviously there's one of the things that you don't do on there is leaving your rods unattended. And, and obviously that's happened where yeah. people have been caught doing that for different reasons. Um, mm. Like, you know, being at the clubhouse and not turning off your receiver and then having a bite on your receiver while you're standing and talking to Pascal is not a good way to go about fishing there. Um, wow. And obviously, yeah. So, so silly things like that. We've, we've seen that. Um, but I haven't experienced um, anywhere else where you, you, you obviously hear stories from lake owners, mm. you know, where they, where they tell, you know, if, if they've had different rules with hooks and stuff that people have mm. tried to, use the hooks they're not allowed to or mm. you know whatever kind of things because they think that that makes a difference to their fishing and they'll obviously get a reprimand um and you've but in, in general you don't hear many stories about people getting banned or chopped off lakes but mm. it does happen yeah i think what happens is that you'll probably get anglers that will go there obviously it's a huge it's a huge cost to fish these waters um the chances of fishing these waters again not once you get on there, I would imagine you can do it again, especially if you behave yourself and, and you've got the fish's interest at the front of your mind. But I would imagine if you've been there five days, you've had nothing, then you maybe start getting a bit more desperate in what you're doing and starting to bend the rules a little bit more than what perhaps you should. You can't condone it. It's something that's obviously that shouldn't happen. You've got to stick within the rules of all these lakes um, because obviously the the fish are the most important thing. Not catching them, but uh, the actual fish being looked after. Because I would imagine these fish, in especially in Rainbow, uh, they're probably not the youngest of fish now, and 
any major, major stress to them in a certain way, especially being away from your rods. I mean, to be on such a, a renowned snaggy water as Rainbow um, and being in the clubhouse, was that, was that Rainbow you were talking about? Yeah, was that yeah. was Rainbow, yeah. So, you know, and to have your receiver, I mean, I, I wouldn't do it at, at any water, you know, not about Rainbow, so... No, 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 no. Um, yeah, incredible. Can you um, can you actually talk us through that eighty-two pound carp that you caught from Graviers? Can you just give us a little rundown on and how that came about? Oh yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I was fishing together with uh, with Tom, uh, a UK, a good English friend of mine, um, from uh, not the famous Point Swim. Our friends were over there, so we we're fishing down like the Lawn Swim, it's called. And um, it'd been quite a good week. I think this was probably around Tuesday. And um, I remember that Tom, he I was fishing with him. He'd had a rough time. I think he'd had one fish. And uh, the day before, I'd had a 60 off a spot, about 60 yards out, um, just like in an area where the, the bottom's a little bit uh, sort of like softer. Than the other part of it, and I was fishing, and and I had that sixty pounder, and I said, well, listen, you know, that'll do some more fish. Why don't you put your rig on that? You know, we're using the same bait, and you could just fish that spot. And he he sort of like declined. He said, no, I I didn't find that spot myself, and that's fair enough. You know, I've I've I wanted to, to to have a go at it. And the morning after, I had a take, and I just bent into it, and you know, you could feel that it it obviously had good weight behind it still. So I obviously like to go in the boat and play my fish. Um, just think less things can go wrong. When you do it like that, I can go straight over the fish with the rod and I've got total control of what it's doing or what I'm doing, not what the fish is doing, but what I'm doing to sort of like uh, manipulate the fish during the during the fight, really. And um, I remember it just, you know, it surfaced there and I saw the size of it and it, it was a fish that, that was called a brown fish. It's unfortunately dead since, um, lovely big fish. Um, yeah, just massive. You know, when you're playing fish like that, it's like feeling like a dog. You're walking mm. with your dog on on a leash, like it's pulling on you all the time. You know, it's just huge. So you, you know, it, in the beginning, the the fish sort of like decides the way that things are going, doesn't it? You know, with, with that size fish, you really got a. Uh, and Luke's place, it's not too bad. Like it's not too snaggy, so you don't have to sort of like be too careful with the fish going into anything so you can just enjoy your time while you're playing it but obviously on rainbow it's a different story you know mm. they try to get into anything so sometimes there you know <laughs> you just got to keep you know if the fish wants to get into a snag you know keep your hands on the spool and mm. try and drag it out but yeah no it was massive fish huge fish um so so that was a bit of a special moment um okay. catching that obviously and how long ago was that did you catch that That'll be four years ago now. And uh, how long was that fight? How long did that take you to get that one in? Probably about 15 minutes, 20 minutes maybe. Oh, wow. I guess, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty quick for a fish that size. Yeah. I mean, I've always found as well that you can tell uh, fish the, the cleverness of them, the wiliness of them when you've hooked them. Um, I've had fish on when I've been bringing them in. They just know exactly what they're doing. Um, they just know the areas and know the spots to go for. I know you get fish that will perhaps just start for the snags, but you'll get certain fish that they'll know if you've got the upper hand in one in one location, then they'll take you to another location. Try and get the upper hand on that. They'll try and you know they'll just take you to areas where they know they know all the areas to cut you off to 
to lose you in. It's it's quite incredible how some fish are a bit more um, not as clued up um, and perhaps a bit more willing to come in rather than other fish. Do you have you found that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think that you know, obviously, that that they'll always try to go for something if they can. Obviously, it's their environment, isn't it? Mm. Really, so so they can mm. sense you know, uh, underwater uh, obstacles and stuff like that they can get into and seek sanctuary and, and things like that. I think the interesting part is that you, I don't know if you've ever tried that, just by, if, if you play a carp, you know, some of them are like, yes, they'll pull, but they'll be like a bit heavy when you, but you feel like you've got good control over everything. You've got good mm. connection through the line mm. to the fish. Then you've got some fish. I don't know what they're doing, if they're rolling around on the line or trying to shed the hook in some way, but it's like, you know, you can feel it. They're going crazy, like shaking their head. Mm. And then you'll lose, like, if it, if it jumps over the dorsal fin, like fish doing like that, you just feel, oh, oh my God, get yeah. this one. And they're oh. always the ones, at some stage, you get a hook pull because they go, I don't know what they're doing out there. It's not because they're, like, taking line off you, but they just, mm. I don't, I can't explain. But you just don't have the same, you know, connection like when you're playing the fish and they just do like these silly things that's the way yeah. i feel anyway you know but yeah, yeah definitely you've got you, you've got but i think like the bigger fish like the, like the really big ones um i've been lucky enough to catch a few myself but i've been on trips with mates that have caught some even bigger ones than i ever have you know and you see the way that the fish are, are fighting you know during while you're playing them they're almost always the same, you know, you're not, not in any doubt when you've got those really big ones on. Mm. Yes, they do take line, but they just hug to the bottom. They don't want to get up. So you, mm. you know, get, you lift them a little bit and they'll just go straight down again. You know, they, they might do like the odd rush where they'll take quite a few yards off you, but it's not like the smaller fish that just keep going and going and going and going. These ones just, they just hug the weight, you know, hug the bottom with the weight. Do you think that from a, if you were to take that to a human analogy, if you've got someone who's big and fat and maybe classes overweight, that they would, they would be doing the same thing if you were pulling them with a piece of rope, they would be using their weight and they wouldn't be running around and they would perhaps get out of breath a lot quicker. Obviously they have power, but they'd get out of breath quicker. Whereas, you know, if you had something round about that was a good, I don't know, a lean fish, they just pull more and just perhaps do more runs on you, like you're saying. Do you think that's the case with bigger fish? Do you think it's better to have a, a slightly less heavier fish for the fight than a than a heavier fish? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. If, if, if you, uh, it's like, you know, uh, if you catch, like, these uh, lean fish that are about, you know, 40 pounds or something like that, mm-hmm. maybe even down to mid-30s, they'll absolutely destroy you, won't they? But when you get into the bigger class fish, you usually like, especially if you look at these, like you get these French fish that are like quite round with like short tails, massive fish, but they don't do anything really, do they? You know, they'll more or less just follow you when you're reeling them in all the way until they saw like they might do a few lunges close in and then they're done. And they could be, you know, 60, 70 pounds even. Seen that on loads of occasion where people, when I brought people to France, and they're like, you know, it doesn't feel that big, you know, it's just coming in, it doesn't doesn't do anything. And I said, well, congratulations, you've just got a thirty kilo fish in the net that took five minutes. <laughs> you know, I've seen that loads of times where people get surprised by the size of the fish. But then again, you'll have a fish like the scarfish um, that was in Graviers, um, and obviously 
I haven't caught that one myself, but I've been on the bank a couple of times when it's been caught uh, by friends of mine, and that's an absolute. That was absolutely insane. That fish. Um, I'd love to catch that one just for the for the sake of the the fight with it. You know, that mm. was a monster because that was also yes, it was huge, you know, ninety pound fish, but you know, it was it was quite long. Like you know, it, yeah. had, it wasn't like this short, really high one. It was just main, you know. Was that a common? No, that was a mirror. Um, obviously, with the scar down in its middle, for nobody ever knew why, but but maybe at some stage, uh, Luke could tell you about that. He's got the stories about all the fish in there. Um, so so, uh, but yeah, no, that was a mirror, big mirror. Do you think it's down to the water quality as well? Um, mostly, if the oxygen levels are good, that they're going to put up a better fight. If the oxygen levels are down, there's you know there's that less that gusto for them to. To breathe and, and to give a better a better fight. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's something with the environment as well. You, if you're catching river fish, you know they have to be on the move all times. You know they probably uh, use their muscles more than than some of the lake fish. You know that's some of the river carp. They scrap really well, especially in some of the French rivers. You get like these huge big tails. They'll you know take ages to get in. Um, and it's the same thing. Like if you're catching like a bit more lean male fish tend to, 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 to scrap well as well. So I think definitely the water quality on top of that as well. Um, like everything else, if they've got cleaner water, more oxygen, it will obviously give them more stamina, won't it? So, yeah, I'm sure about that as well. You will always remember your PB, your biggest fish that you caught. But I think there's a, a bigger gravitas to the one that's given you the best fight, the one that you got in, the one that was the wildest one, the one that gave you the biggest one around. It could be half the weight of the biggest one that you've caught, but I think when you're hanging up your, your fishing rods, I think it will be that one that will probably sit with you more than the biggest one that you've caught. The hardest one that's been to catch, like I said, the one that's giving you the biggest one around, around the lake. Do you think that as well? I definitely remember a couple of situations. Um, I think, yeah, scrap was good and stuff like that. And then, you know, they've, you've been towed around. I think it's more the surprise where you're sort of like expecting this monster to surface. You get this 30 pound male mirror in front of you and you're thinking, where's the rest of it? You know, did you, did you lose half your weight while, you were, <laughs> while I was playing you? Um, yeah. But definitely, yeah, I think that, that, that obviously the scrap... Uh, the fight as well, you know, you will remember those. I do have quite a few of those, but they were all funnily enough. I got, you know, at Luke's place, like these male fish where you've been waiting a long time, like the slow weeks, and you're hoping for a big fish, and you get the take, and you go out in the boat, and you, you, you know, you've been standing there with this thing dragging around for 20 minutes. You think, oh, that's big, and then you sort of like, nope because you're disappointed really but you're just like i was a bit okay well that's pretty impressive that you sort of like managed to do that with that size you have there i've had that happen quite a few times down there really with his fish they're absolutely the male fish and they're absolutely insane um yeah definitely yeah i found as well that for me personally i know this is no people are fine there's no fight difference at all but i personally i find commons fight harder than mirrors but that's just my own personal opinion. I mean, you might have a different take on that, but that's uh, that's what I found through my fishing life. Have you found that, Matt, at all? I, I, um, in France, on about the second night, uh, a few years ago, I caught a 45 pound common, and it was just long. It was like a torpedo. There was no girth to it whatsoever. It was just pure muscle. 
and that took me five minutes to an hour to land. Um, it was just, I was just a passenger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, yeah. For a while, I thought I had a catfish on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've exactly the same experience. I've had a forty-seven pound common on, and that was it, that took me again. It took me about forty-five minutes to get that one in, um, and it, and it was just relentless. It was absolutely relentless. You just think, come on, give it up, give it up. Yeah, and just, stop, please stop. <laughs> just, you know, it would. You, you just think you're getting some headway on it, and then and then it just be off again, and it's just one constant. Of, one of the most amazing fights I ever witnessed was. Um, when I was in my early 20s, many years ago, my friend and I, uh, his name's Ben, we went and fished um, uh, day ticket late, and we went down there for four or five days in May, and we had a, we had a week to remember. It was absolutely amazing. And towards the end of the week, um, there was some big catfish in this place, and the biggest I think catfish in there at the time was about, I think, like 91, 92 pounds while we were there, sort of thing. Um, we knew about, and his his rod went off one evening, and um, I had two twenties and a couple of beers in the time it took him just to get this thing <laughs> just come on the surface once, and um, it was a thirty nine pound common, which at that time was an amazing fish. It was a PB for him, but I've never ever ever it was like a Jaws moment, um, you know. He wasn't undergunned at all either, and he's caught a lot of big fish. And um, he, he, you know, he was just there for an hour and a half, two hours, just could not get this fish to come up on the surface. It was just amazing, amazing. I've never witnessed a fight like that before. So that was another common. It was another common. And, oh, and well, there we go. It, and when it, when it sort of started coming up, and you start seeing, you know, the, 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 the tube in and the lead, and you think, here we go going to see a massive pussycat pop his head up in a second and I'm getting ready with the, <laughs> the I'm getting ready with the glove to glove it out and um and all of a sudden you, you, see, you see the scales of a common just roll up roll over and you just think hey that's not right <laughs> what, what, uh, yeah that's not right and um yeah I mean amazing fish it was beautiful scale perfect common but what a psychopath you know yeah amazing um yeah, amazing fight. And that one that one has stick in my mind for years and I didn't even catch it. Mm. But it's all it's always like quite interesting as well because that's one of the things that a lot of people ask me here is now we're talking about the fights and and obviously the experiences with that is that, you know, a lot of of people ask me here, okay, you know, when you show them a picture of a carp, they're saying, Okay, well, you know, did it fight well? And I said, Well, maybe not really that much and they're saying well isn't that the most important thing that's like you know if you think about it you know the most memorable ones like the ones that you that you saw like that fight well and you get the fish you want isn't it really so yeah, yeah. but would but would you it's like but a lot of people here they go fishing for like for the fight of it you know for the sake of it oh like if it didn't fight well it doesn't count and i'm thinking well you know i've used two years trying to catch that fish you know i'd rather not lose it so i really didn't care too much about the fight <laughs> you know? i must admit i must admit when um the the common in france i was telling you guys about when i saw how big it was I saw how big it was about 15 minutes into the fight. Um, and then for the rest of the fight, I didn't enjoy it. No, because, exactly. Because I knew what I had on the end. 
I didn't enjoy the fight at all. Every time anything rubbed down the rubbed down, you got a little pinging sensation or anything like that. You know, my legs just went, and um, I you just I just wanted it in the net. Yeah. yeah, completely. What's it like over on, on Rainbow when you're out in the boat and you're playing something? It feels good, or you get an early glimpse of it and it and it and you know it looks good. And it starts getting down around those bars and down around those snags, and you can feel it crunching around those bars at like 15, 20 foot pedal. What's that like? And you're standing up in the boat, trying your hardest to just maneuver this thing with a boat and a rod out, you know, away from these, you know, massive bars. You know, what's that like? Yeah, well, that was just, it's, um, it's not easy, first of all, you know, it's not, you know, you've got to keep a lot of things, you know, you've got, you got a lot of stuff, you know, it might be windy as well, pushing the boat around and, yeah. and you don't want to get your line in there, you know, or, you know, you can have lots of things go bad with that. Uh, it is a bit of, you really sort of like just what I've done is that, you know, over the years I've found that the rods are locked down when you're fishing and they actually stay that way until the fish is in the net. Um, there's nothing else you can do really. Um, I don't ever slacken off on drag. I just say, all right, you know, the hook hole's got to be that good. And because obviously you're not standing on on on, on firm ground, you're in the boat, so the fish will drag the boat. Yeah. So so yeah. It, it, the fish is essentially also playing the boat, so it can actually move. So it's not really like you were standing on the bank with a with a locked up drag. So that that fish has to pull that weight of the boat so if, if yeah, you give it yeah, yeah. If, if it start if a fish you know the big fish on there you know if they start going on a run on a tear if they decide all right listen i'm going that way and you've got a loose drag it'll just keep going until it decides that i don't want to go anymore so that's why you don't want to start playing around with your, with your clutch while you're playing fish on there it's just got to stay as it is and yeah. as well if you know i've had that you know all of a sudden I do a lot of time with the echo sounder, so you know where the snags are, but you might have, it doesn't have to be that much, you know, the root or something, all of a sudden it gets stuck into that and different things, you know, so, yeah. so you, you really got to keep them high in the water. And the only way you can do that is just massive pressure, really. Um, I was going to ask you, you know, sort of a follow up to my question, and you've pretty much just answered it. Your, your topography of the area must have to be, a lot more accurate than it normally would if you were fishing sort of a how can I put it like a non-rainbow kind of French lake. If you go somewhere that's a fairly flat bottom, then to be fair, you only really need to know the topography of where you're fishing. So you yeah. get you'll get your you know if you want to fish in in deep silt, light silt, or whatever, you just need to know the topography of that area. But obviously on rainbow, you need to know the topography of the whole swim and whole area you're in. Because you need to know when you need to crank up the pressure, get the boat in reverse, move away down this part of the bar. You know, it must be almost mind blowing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I use a lot of time on, uh, on 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 mapping out the swims. Obviously, with the echo sounders, we've got nowadays they do map yeah. straight on the echo sounders, so you get the depths and you get the feel of how it's looking. And some of the swims, you know will be quite simple like where where you've got a uh, swim 18 and 17 it's like it's, it's very deep out in front and you've got you're fishing up against an island so so that's probably 30 feet at the deepest area and that you've got really no snags in between you yeah. and the island but then that's all snags on there you're fishing against but then you've got some areas where you might be you know you've got your swim you've got your boat and straight out in front of you it's 20 foot 
you know, you'll step in yeah, a 20 yeah. foot more or less, but you know, 50 yards further out, you know, you've got to take your engine out of the water to cross the bar. <laughs> so yeah. that's the, yeah, that's the way things work on there. So essentially that every, you know, you have to think about, you know, all these gullies that the, the fish are, mo are moving through them. Obviously they're using them as, 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 as means of transportation from one area of the lake to the next. And that's really where you're trying to intercept them. But that's sort of like where the whole bottle rig comes or the mm. flotation rig comes into. So the fish gets hooked, it dumps the leads. And then you sort of like, you know, the, then you've got the flotation device keeping the line tight yeah. to the fish. So the fish is swimming around with that. So you're actually just in this instance, picking up, you know, obviously keep a tight line, but picking that up until you get out to the fish. And then you've got that gully. That's where you're playing the fish. So that gully might be, you know, 20 foot deep, but it might only be three uh, or 10 foot wide, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got, you know, the fish is swimming back and forth and that, but you've got sometimes loads of old stuff sticking up from the sides underneath the water, the old branches, trees, whatever. Old line as well is a nightmare on there. You know, people that have cracked off uh, lines, old braid, lead cores. That's, I probably guess that, you know, at the moment, you know, when you're fishing on there, you start losing more fish in old, you know, old leftover fishing tackle that have gathered up like lines, braid hanging through the water, old lead core, and even yeah. old markers that have sunk. You know, I've caught loads of them. You're playing your fish, get stuck into something, and all of a sudden up your line comes an old like algae ridden marker that's rolling out that's been underwater for five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And everyone drops their leads down there. And I heard, I can't remember where I heard it. I heard a story or someone was telling me that on on a couple of the swims where you're sort of snag fishing um there's a famous sort of overhanging tree i can't remember what it's called um i can't remember what it's called really so i'm sure people screaming at the radios but, could be uh, the brazilian tree maybe the brazilian yeah the brazilian that's it is it i don't know if you fish it or not but is it right that as you as you as you you're feeling your lead down you can actually you actually get sort of that Bob, 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 as you go down, is it is it right that a lot of people think that you're just grinding over old dropped off leads? Yeah, there's a good good chance of it being like that on there. Yeah. There is there is spots on there that obviously get fished every week because they do yeah. produce fish. And yes, there will be loads of leads on there. Of course, there will be. Yeah, definitely. That, that must be mental to feel that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's big leads that people generally use on there. You know, like six, eight, ten, twelve ounces. So yeah. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. I've got 112 ounce lead. <laughs> Can you imagine though? You're double you're double leading. So you've got like two, six, two, eight ounce leads. You know, and you're and you're double leading to like a snack or something. You know, that that just blows your mind. Like, you know, I went fishing yesterday and I was chucking out a two ounce lead. You know, that's just just crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it is different. I'll say that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Just think about, you know, like driving down there, the amount of leads that you bring, you know, we have to carry the, uh, the box that we have them in two guys to get that out of the car. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Wow. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, you know, you, you, you use four rods each. All right. Fair enough. So that's, yeah. that's, that's the first eight leads yeah. just to get the rigs out. And then if you catch a fish, you know, that's this and that. So you, you bring like probably at least 50 leads along, don't you? Maybe even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start yeah. saying that's 10 ounces. So we start, yeah. okay, that, that is a bit of weight, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I 
It is, mate. It is. Yeah, no, I didn't think of it like that. But yeah, that's... And especially if you're going to go and have a decent hit of fish as well, a 20, 30 car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you use that quite a bit. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, Pedda, what sort of volume of bait are you doing down there? Um, again, it's different. Um, obviously, depending on time of year. Um, in the autumn, like October-wise, uh, we probably, I guess we use two, it's about 100 kilos a week. Really? So that's 50 kilos per per person. Per yeah, week. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, for winter fishing, um, we were down there last year, just before COVID hit. Um, we we're actually sitting on the island when the first news of it came. I remember that we were listening to it, and we were thinking, "All right, it's good we're down here on a little island in France." And remember, the first cases in Europe were in Bordeaux, which is just twenty minutes, thirty minutes north of where we were. We thought, "All right, <laughs> that's not good," <laughs> but that's uh, another story. Um, but um, we used less on there. I think we used about thirty, forty kilos for two weeks. But obviously. You know, we 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 didn't. You don't catch the same amount of fish when you're there in January, February. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 amazing place. Right, it's now to our competition feature. It's competition time in association with DT Baits. And this is where the guys down at DT Baits have been very kind to give away a fantastic prize for you, lucky listeners, to win. Now, the price consists of two kilos of boilies, one kilo of pellets, tub of boosted hook baits, a DNA glug, and a DT bucket. Now, these prizes will change on our next competition round. Um, we will freshen that up for you guys who are entering for these. Um, now, the question that you need to answer to be in with a chance to win this prize is, what is Peder Lichtenberg's nationality? Is it A, Norwegian, B, Swedish, or C, Danish. Now, if you would like to go to our Cop Cogs Facebook group page, where we will have a post up where you can put your answer, you'll need to tag a friend and like the page. And the winner will be announced on the 16th of June. And yeah, good luck to everyone involved. Okay, right, Pedder, what does the future hold for you? Are you going to be uh, revisiting Rainbow anytime soon? Um, yeah, well, oh, not this year, obviously, uh, we, we don't have any bookings for this year, but next year, uh, I've got two weeks on there, um, in November, so hopefully that'll be all right. Um, and, um, what else have we got in store for this year? There is, um, I've got quite a few bookings. We'll see which ones, um, will be possible to go on, but I've got a few weeks at Brevier's. Um, I've got a week at Gigantica, obviously, in the autumn. And um, I've also got a, 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 a prolonged trip in the autumn to, uh, to to a public water in France. I don't know which one yet. Um, there's different possibilities there. Um, so that's it. And for next year, obviously, I've already got everything booked in. So uh, that's another five weeks in France um, next year. Um, and still loads of fishing here in Denmark, obviously. I still do a lot of fishing here. So so that's that's the same. That doesn't change. I've got my routines. So um, fishing, you know, in springtime, um, you know, I, I usually try to get a month's fishing in at least and the same in the autumn here in Denmark. So uh, getting, you know, time done. Still very important to me going fishing here. It's It's different. So, yeah. And you're still in the tackle shop, busy working away. 
Yeah, all the time. Uh, we're very, very busy at the moment. Um, obviously, uh, COVID has made everybody going fishing crazy here. So just fishing license in the Copenhagen area has gone up by 53% last wow. year. Wow. So we're insanely busy in the shop. You know, it's 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 very it's yeah. We can't we can't actually keep up with demands at the moment, and neither can the companies. Uh, to be honest, um, they're really struggling as well to get goods out to us um, for different reasons. So yeah, it's um it's it's an interesting time at the moment in the fishing tackle industry. When you reckon you think it's going to be safer for you uh, in regards of saying that's a safe, but I know. Yeah, COVID is not a very predictable virus at all. But are you looking probably around about September, October, you could perhaps say things should start getting back to normal for you to be going out to uh, waters in France and to waters in more places in Europe? To be honest, I think that if you want to sort of like a safe bet, if, if you don't like with restrictions and quarantines and stuff like that, you're mm. probably definitely looking at, you know, late summer, early early autumn, we'll have to look yeah. at that. Um, but like I said, obviously, with the rules as they are now for our country anyway and the rest of Europe, you know, you, if you want to travel, you can do, but you obviously got quarantine and stuff like that. So that's up to people. You know, they have to make up their own minds about that, I think, um, if they want to go. So um, so that's the way things are working at the moment. But I think definitely at autumn, it's a safe bet. Yeah, okay. I hope so anyway for everybody else you know people need to it's it's really important for people to go fishing you know um, maybe not traveling but you know if it's a part of your life quality you know a lot of people they work uh, their butts off to, 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 to get on these trips they pay them years in advance you know to get the right swims and, and think about it this way if you were ever lucky enough to finally get a chance to go to one of these places and then it gets cancelled you know you know wow. you're Bit gutted, aren't Dev- devastated. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've just we've just we've been on a we've been on a waiting list for about two to three years to get on a lake in France, and um, it's one we've fished previously. It's an amazing place, and um, we've we've just let the booking go go for next year, just purely and simply because of all the uncertainty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I think. Just, yeah. Just not yeah. taking the risk. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 booked on with a with a few friends in. Uh, in October this year to France so I'm hoping things are going to be a little bit more cleared up I think we'll be all right in the UK but it's all how the other European yeah. countries cope with it um yeah. obviously we've, we've got a good vaccination program going down at the moment I know this. Like Europe haven't they no Europe are, uh, are struggling a bit so we'll see how it goes and hopefully they'll catch up and I'm I'm hoping and as we're all guessing we're guessing by you know early autumn things should be hopefully people should be fully vaccinated by them but uh, we'll wait and see yeah we'll hope so, yeah. yeah okay Peter. thank you very much for coming on to the uh, podcast i'm sure the listeners have enjoyed this one and anyone who's thinking about going out to these wonderful locations i know like we said earlier on in the podcast it's it's a big ask to try and get on these waters but don't give up you may know somebody who knows somebody who cancels and you might just squeeze in there. We have to dream. We have to believe that we can get on like Pedder. So, yeah, thanks again, mate, for all that info. And we'll get you on again, hopefully, one day. And, yeah, thank you, Matt. Thank yes. you very much. Pedder, thank it's you. lovely, lovely listening to you, mate. Hopefully we can chat again in the not-too-distant future, mate. Um, my my IT issues aside, I, I, you know, I've really enjoyed listening to you, mate. 
Okay, yeah, thank you very much for that, for having me on, guys. It's been a great time. You know, if, if, if you ever want to have another chat, let me know. So, you're more than welcome. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure no. we will, mate. I'm sure definitely. we will. After your escapades back in Rainbow and uh, all your other places you're going, we'll definitely get you back on. Okay, yeah. we'll round it up there. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you to the listeners. And we'll see you on the next episode of Carp Cogs. <laughs> I'm not going to